With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here and welcome to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. We're all together again after holiday travels and break and lots to talk about here on this week's show. We're going to be joined here in studio on our next segment as well by former Husker Jay Foreman and we'll hit on a number of issues and uh, the first one uh, actually I talked to Jay about but we'll, we'll talk about it here over the top is staff movement on the on the, on the the staff here for Nebraska. Uh, Jovan DeWitt going to North Carolina, special teams coordinator, uh, outside linebackers coach. And I, I think the bigger question is, is this it? And I think I would tell you right now, no. I think you're going to see um, possibly another piece on this staff move as well. And um, the reality, I think, guys, is that is the trend in college football. Um, the days of having all nine or ten now of your assistant coaches stay on every year it just doesn't happen. You're going to typically probably see a guy or two move, and now with 90 95% of recruiting done, um, January is when a lot of these things are going to happen. Now, Javon DeWitt, um, I, I think you know when you look at it, was he forced out? Um, was it mutual? Was it a little bit of both? Uh, you know, I, I think you could debate that topic, but the bottom line is special teams for Nebraska, outside linebacker play were two of the more underperforming units. And they'll go in a fresh new direction, um, what looks to be Mike Dawson probably making a return to, to Lincoln at this point. Yeah, and Dawson makes a lot of sense just in, the, in that continuity and relationships uh, and familiarity are so important to Scott Frost. I mean, that was one of the things that he prided himself when he assembled his staff here in Nebraska was the fact that he brought essentially everyone with him from Central Florida because he believes so much in um, you know having that type of relationship and dynamic within your coaching staff to where everyone is preaching the same message and guys are getting consistency no matter which coach they're talking to. And I, I think that um, that makes a guy like Mike Dawson, should he be the guy, um, makes total sense. The fact that, you know, I mean, he, he was with Frost at, at Central Florida and it's been a year at Nebraska, knows the lay of the land, uh, would be essentially a, a seamless fit back at that outside linebacker group. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, whatever future attrition happens, replacements are going to have, if they don't have a pre-existing relationship with Frost and the staff, they're going to be a guy like Tony Tuioti, who from the day that he interviewed, uh, you know, one of the first things Frost brought up was when, when I met him, it felt like, you know, he was with our staff from day one at Central Florida. And uh, it was just a natural fit on and off the field. So, uh, you know, there's gonna be candidates that are gonna be thrown around, you know, should more spots open up, but uh, how they click with the current staff that's already in place will be just as important as anything on their resume. That's the thing. It, it, it's all about fit. And I know anytime there's an opening, 
you know, the fans clamor for <clears throat> the five-star the, recruiting yeah, gangster, yeah, yeah, the, the elite. <laughs> yeah. The elite recruiter that's known across the country is, is getting anybody and everybody he wants to get or, or some, you know, some coach that is national, an assistant coach that's nationally known because he's produced X, Y, or Z players over the years or, or whatever the case is. But, um, you know, and we've seen Nebraska go out and, and get some really good assistants in the past that weren't necessarily fits and they don't last long. They just don't. They're, the It's like trying to mix oil and water on the coaching staff sometimes when you bring in somebody from the outside that is not necessarily – um, you know, on the same page as far as scheme or on the same page as, as far as personality or, or whatever, you know, and, and a lot of times those elite recruiters or, or elite coaches, I mean, they, they don't want to be taking direction. They want to be doing their own thing. And, and so, and I, and I don't think that's good. Um, so the very first thing that Scott Frost has got to do is, is go out and find somebody that's a natural fit. And obviously uh, Mike Dawson is a natural fit. He's been on the staff before. He knows the scheme. Uh, he's even familiar with a lot of the players on the team and so uh, and he's recruited some of the guys that are that are on the team so um, I think it would make total sense if if that's the direction that they end up going and he he led the charge Nate with Ty Robinson right yes well and and a lot of other guys too I mean Nebraska kind of had to start from square one with Nash Hutmacher people forgot that um, Nash and Mike Dawson were very close uh, during the recruiting process and and when Dawson left and Tony Tuioti came in um, you know I, I don't think I think Nebraska was still definitely an option for Nash, but he he needed to try and get to know Tony Tuioti and and see you know if there was still that type of connection there. Um, and, and you know there was a little bit of a period there where you know I felt like maybe Wisconsin, um, you know, or, or Iowa or, or or Oregon or whatever could kind of sneak in there because Nebraska was going through a little bit of a transition because Nash was so close with uh, with Mike Dawson. Um, you know, and he led the charge with a lot of guys. He was. He was involved with Ramir Johnson. He kind of opened the door up for Ryan Held to, to kind of uh, to get Ramir Johnson out of New Jersey. Um, and, and when he left, they did lose a lot of their connections in the East Coast. So, um, you know, this is – I think people have a short memory sometimes. And, and I know a lot of people on, on the Red Sea Scrolls were saying, well, he can't – he's not – Everyone the, wants a new flavor. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. And, and the bottom line is he, he can recruit. Uh, he is a good coach, and he's familiar with the staff. I mean, all the pieces kind of line up and make sense. And then lastly, guys, I don't want to get too long in this one, uh, but it's official, now official, on Maurice Washington. Um, he's in the portal. Um, we, we had the story Friday that he was leaving the program. Nebraska announced it later on Friday as well um, that, that it was a done deal with Maurice Washington. Um, I think the bigger questions are, you know, what will happen with his legal situation, and then will somebody take a chance on him, um, you know, as long as the legal thing moves forward? But it, it's just an unfortunate ending to something that had a lot of promise. A lot of good people went out of their way to try to make it work with Maurice Washington. And, and I wrote this on Friday last week. You never really felt like Maurice truly appreciated the amount of good people that put their name out there for him to try to help Maurice. He, it just never felt like he really quite understood that a lot of people went out of their way 
to try to make this work. And at the end of the day, it did not work. Well, and it was just one thing after another, you know, I mean, just the off the field stuff, obviously with his legal stuff, but then, uh, you know, the, the getting busted with marijuana paraphernalia on campus in a dorm, like you're not even trying at that. It point. was a hot pipe. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, you know, some of the stories about just basically doing whatever he wanted with the training table and workouts and stuff like that. Basically, like he, he acted like the rules didn't apply to him. And that's probably because he's always been so good that he never had to be held accountable. And now it finally reached a breaking point this season where the juice just wasn't worth the squeeze. And when he started doing stuff like taking inside runs and bouncing them outside and basically just doing whatever he wanted, uh, he finally crossed the line to where Frost was like, you know what? You're an extremely talented player. The but team. Yeah, you're, at, at this point, you're a liability. And so, you know, you, you hope that at some point it clicks with him and he gets his life back on track. He's obviously an extremely talented player that um, you know has a lot of potential, but until he figures out all that stuff off the field, um, his, his ceiling is going to be uh, very low capped. Well, and, and it goes back before Nebraska even, I mean, <laughs> this dude was living in Deion Sanders' home during high school. And so <clears throat> he's had a lot of opportunities uh, and it just, for whatever reason has not clicked. So you hope that, you hope that he kind of can get it together. Um, you know, I, I want to know if there's odds anywhere on on Oregon State maybe coming in and <laughs> taking see if they can make another Nebraska That's a player work. Choice, yeah, right? right. All right, guys. Well, when we come back, Jay Foreman is going to join me here in studio. We'll talk to Jay Foreman about a number of things, um, including uh, Jovan DeWitt, that situation, and uh, just the staff in general and in Nebraska in general, and get his thoughts on all those things next. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, I told you, get a special guest stopped by the, the offices this week. I said, let's, let's bring you in the show. And uh, former Husker legend and NFL great Jay Foreman uh, joining us here in studio on the Husker Online Show. Jay, uh, what are you up to these days, man? How's retirement treating you? It's pretty good, you know. It's uh, it's real good when it's forty degrees out in in, in January, so I can't complain. Um, so you know, we're on the second half of my youth basketball team, uh, the Runner Rebels. You know, that was my favorite team growing up. So, uh, boys know, or girls? Boys. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, sixth graders. So, uh, well, it depends on the day. Sometimes they act like second graders, and uh, but they're you know they're a bunch of good kids, good parents, and so I'm doing that, and uh, you know, do a lot of public speaking, and uh, going to come out with my own uh, personal podcast. Uh, the Iron Will podcast, so it will cover you know a lot of stuff. But you know, obviously, keeping a close eye on Husker football, especially since Scott's been around. But then also, uh, you know, every after every bowl season, I like to evaluate where we are and see how close or how far. And so, it's going to be pretty interesting in the next uh, year or two where Nebraska can go. Yeah, let's just delve right into it. Um, you know, when when you look at some of the stuff going on, I mean, one coaching change has been made. Uh, Javon Dewitt has moved on and. I mean, you can say or look at it however you want, but I, you know, I think it really just wasn't working one sure. way or the other. And and you know, maybe it was Javon's call, maybe it was Scott's call, maybe it was mutual. Who knows how it all went down? But um, I think most would agree that was you know those two areas he was involved when in had had not produced the, the last couple of years. Yeah, and and it's hard because you know for him, some when there's change, everybody thinks oh he was a horrible coach. That's necessarily not not the case. It's not like he can't coach or hasn't coached good players before I mean he just came from an undefeated you know team you know that was a quote-unquote national champion two years ago it's just look to his defense you know he didn't have a lot of established players at outside linebacker they they had to cleanse the 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 roster 
of, I guess, of the cancerous guys or guys that just didn't fit their eye. And then that hurts your depth. Special teams is correlated to your depth. That's what it is. It's, it's the guys that aren't starting or going to be eventually starting in a year or two. It deals with tim, team speed. It's It's been on, you know, whether it's on, you know, TV, radio, podcast, how much they had to do just to get the team up to Big Ten standard, standard physically. So that hurts your special teams. And then outside linebacker, when you're playing a true freshman, Garrett Nelson, um, you got Caleb Tanner, who is, you know, all potential. And, 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 and you had guys like Tyron Ferguson selling Ty- real estate during the season. Who knows what he was doing? It was either real estate, energy drinks, but the last thing that was on his priority list was football. So those three guys, and they really were depending on him. And, and it was Alex a, Davis, obviously. Yeah, and Alex Davis, who, to his defense, has played, it seems like, 85 different positions on top of not having a lot of football in his background in the first place. Remember, he was a basketball player. So uh, you don't have anything, anybody established. It's not like you just came into Wisconsin where you have a tradition, you have two or three guys waiting to go and play that had good coaching before. So to his defense, it just was a bad marriage per se. And guess what? A lot of divorces don't end well. He's in a great spot with a great situation with Mac Brown down there in North Carolina. We're going to hire a good coach, you know, to replace him and, you know, move on from there. And that's the way it is. You, either way you look at it, it worked out a good way. It's not like he's sitting out for four years and hadn't coached. Yeah, I think a lot of fans, they, they want it to be like it used to be at Nebraska where guys would stay 20, 25 years. But when you look at college football now, it just seems like the norm is maybe one or two of your ten Almost every year, you're going to just get a turnover spot out of one or two of your ten guys. Well, you as a head coach, that's what you want. If I'm a head coach, say like, oh, so for me, I'm a, I have a defensive background. So whoever I'm grooming as my defensive coordinator, I would hope and assume that I've taught him enough, pushed him enough that he wants to go and be a head coach himself, and then he's kind of paid it forward. So maybe the linebacker coach or D line coach is the next defensive coordinator or say like you had a GA that went somewhere and cut his teeth right but started out with me he can come back and be a position coach or if he really blew up he'd be the defensive coordinator you want your coaching tree to be everywhere and and that's ideally way I view good coaches and good coaching trees so whether he went you know whether it was suggested or he knew that the writing was on the wall or kind of felt like he needed another situation at the end of the day he has Nebraska ties and blood and with Scott and stuff like that, so he's off in a better spot, and we're going to hire whoever they're going to decide to hire, and it's going to be pretty good. All right, I'm going to throw a couple true and false questions at you here. True or false, Adrian Martinez will start more than six of the 12 regular season <laughs> games at quarterback next year. Oof. I'm going to say true. I think that he's – I think some guys come and they're just not used to the physicality of football. I think his body is going to mature – um, I'd like to see him a lot more leaner, same weight, you know, same weight size, uh, a lot more leaner. That'll let me know he's going to be, his body can withstand it. I think he's going to, um, start more than six. I think he has to start more than six. And so that's why it's definitely true. Your boy from Minnesota, Bryce Benhart will step in and start at right tackle and Matt Farniak will slide inside to guard. That's a great combination. I think you, when you get a big long tackle with a kind of a bruiser kind of a thicker guy inside that's what they want to do that's the way that if you look at their offensive line and and the blocking schemes that they like to do that's the perfect style you know where you have a more linear guy outside longer big thicker guys in there so they can move you at the point of attack and hit those cutback lanes so I hopefully I think that's going to be a good combination what about inside linebacker I guess it's not a true or false question but do you see 
that's your bread and butter spot. Right. Do you see a Keyshawn Green? Um, do you see one of these JUCO guys like Magua um, yeah. coming in and, and, and shaking it up? I definitely think they're they're probably chomping at the bit to get here as soon as as they can if they're not already here. I think Magua, when you look at his junior college tape, I look at closing speed. I look at his change of direction and when he decides to go somewhere, how fast he can go there. His is way better than anybody else that they recruited this year. The pressure is going to be on because there's no established guy there. Um, so coming in, they might not come in and start, but they're going to come in and push for immediate play in time. And then the, the cream will rise to the top when they get out there on Saturday afternoons. But I look for the two, you know, Green, Magua. Um, I look for Heinrich if he can stay healthy. He's kind of like that asterisk. You know, if he can stay healthy and build his body up, I think that he could be an inside-outside guy combination splash player that they sorely or surely need because that's what they what made their defense somewhat respectable down at Central Florida. What about Reimer, Luke Reimer? I like him. He's consistent. I think he's surprised a lot of people. Um, I think we're not in a position to, you know, hitch our wagon to guys that are in scholarships or they're from California or Florida. Look, you can be from – Podunk, Nebraska, or middle of nowhere, Minnesota. If you can play football at this level, you got to play them. Looking at just another position, outside linebacker. I mean, that, that to me, when you look at Nebraska transitioning into a 3-4 defense, that has been the one position that they just have not found the right guys, even defensive ends to an extent. Sure. The Davis Twins really weren't 3-4 DNs. They've had to do it the last two or three seasons. How far away is it realistically from Nebraska getting the right kind of DNs and the right kind of outside linebackers to play the 3-4 at a high level? Well, I think with, with the guys they had last year that they came in, they either redshirted, where you think about uh, Green that came in as a Juco. Uh, I think it was a Ty Robinson. Uh, I think he was decent. Uh, and then I think when you have the holdovers, I think they, their defensive line depth is better, you know, as far as like, you know, your first and second unit. So I think they're, they're closer – and nose and the defensive, I call it defensive tackles. Now, outside linebacker, I think they're way off. I think Garrett Nelson is needs a lot of work. You know, he needs to. You know, he needs his hands and feet don't match up together. Caleb Tanner, it's just more upstairs whether he can decide to really because he had that one play where it was Colorado where he right. just came off the edge, it came like, off the edge, and it was like it was so natural. But he has to work at it. His it's not physical with him. He he's a guy that you're mad at. You know what I mean? When he he when he walks around every day, he has everything that you need. He has the size, he has the length, he has the speed, and so now it's up to mental. Can he really fall in love with the little nuances to be a really good player? Um, and then you have uh, JoJo Doman, who is excellent on the outside, but doesn't have the the physical stature for it. In my opinion, I would move him inside to a weak inside linebacker, and then he'd be my third down dime linebacker uh, because that takes his playmaking ability from one side of the field to the middle of the field on, you know, say first and second down. Third down, I think that he would do a better job covering tight ends and running backs versus slot receivers. So I think that hopefully would be an option. But outside linebacker, we are very, very far off. And that's why you saw a little bit more 4-3, um, you know, Ben Stilley. Uh, I think, you know. Because he's was, really not a true 3-4 DN either. No, he's a pumped up 4-3 four, four, defensive end. And his best year was when he was a 4-3 defensive end. He was very, very effective. You thought that he was going to extend and be a really good player. Added some weight. I think his body, and, and he hasn't got used to it yet. It's affected his stamina because he was an effort player more than an athletic player. Um, if they ever really decided to 
not shell the 3-4, but really hone in on that 4-3. I think that even with the amount of inside linebackers slash outside linebackers or, or wills, or even you could take your outside linebackers and play them like more of an old-school Sam, that would be an easier – you'd see a big up uptrend or up spike in their defensive stats, in my opinion. All right, you got a couple of Minnesota questions for you since you are <laughs> our, our native Minnesota in here. Uh, Gophers, was that yeah. a one-year deal, or do you think V.J. Flex got that thing going the right way? It's, 11 wins. I know. I was Every week I was thinking, like, this is going to be the week that they're not going to play well or lose, and they've actually played better. I think it's – if I had to bet more – probably more towards a one-year thing are I they more like eight and four they're more like a consistent seven and five eight and four nine and three type of program but that's fun from by minnesota standards the stuff that they have to deal with inside their athletic department that's a great season it's kind of really glenn mason built that to where he's at now where, where this year that pj fleck had that's what glenn mason was doing year in and year out you know and then developing pro type of players and stuff like that getting guys and developing them I think that's where he's going to get the program, but I think P.J. Fleck has really brought a lot of confidence to that program. you got to give him a ton of respect. He's he's done it. He's talked it, and, and it's funny how you look at the first three games where they were barely winning. When they, they didn't even rush for 100 yards in those lower-level games. Right, and they, were, they should have lost to South Dakota State. And Fresno uh, State. And Fresno State. And Georgia Southern. And then when you win a couple of those games, and then how his message was maybe – heard but not listened to and say those first three weeks then you win a couple of those games I can guarantee you that th there's no way that you could tell me or that he wouldn't even tell you our preparation and everything didn't take an upswing after the winning those close games so winning breeds confidence then it's going to increase your work habits and then also it's going to allow you to coach easier as well and will we see the Vikings uh, another week or is this going to be I mean San Francisco uh, yeah, right yeah. they're the 49ers right I think it's a good matchup because San Francisco is a really really good team they're a physical team. I think uh, the Vikings are a defensive team versus an offensive team. So it, it's they're not going to run over the Vikings like they did Green Bay, you know, on Sunday night a few few weeks ago. Um, I think that if you compare the quarterbacks, the way that they're playing right now, I'd probably say Kirk Cousins has been more consistent than Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, I think Dalvin Cook is the is the X factor. If he can stay healthy, with the, he makes that offensive line look two times better than they actually are. So I like the Vikings. I think that they traveled. I, I think Mike Zimmer is the type of guy that he has his team. So they're, they're so mentally tough everywhere besides the quarterback position that doesn't matter where they play. They're going to play the and same. That's, I, I was actually just in San Francisco for their game when they lost to the Falcons. And that's not a daunting no. atmosphere. No, it's not. And they have a lot of injuries to the best part of their team, which is defensive line. They've had three guys go on injured reserve, so they, they used to kill kill teams with depth, right? They'd keep bringing pass rushers. Now you see, even if you watch, you see Bosa now, he has a big wrap on his ankle, so he's not as effective. Uh, D Ford, you know, he's D Ford, you know, and for you Kansas City fans, obviously, you know, he's just D Ford. So you, you, you see they have some chinks in the armor. Safety position, they have two of their better safeties on injured reserve. So that plays right into the Vikings' hands, whether it's stealing or digs, or they're both tight ends going against their safeties. That's a mismatch for them. So I don't, I don't think that the Vikings are getting on that plane, not expecting to win. If they don't turn over the ball and don't give up big plays, they have to double team George Kittle. They'll win the game. So do you have to be a Texans fan still too, though, with all the great years? Are you are you kind of a co-Texans, co-Vikings fan right now? Well, if the family. It, it, I'm a Vikings fan. It just because I mean, you were born, 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 born purple. 
I'm look, the Texans played Buffalo last week, you know, so I was going for both teams. Uh, I was really happy to see that the, the Texans win. I would have liked to see Buffalo win another playoff game, but I think long-term the Texans have that X factor. Deshaun Watson is one of those guys that can play, you know, the team could be down 18 points in the fourth quarter and he can bring them back. He is just that good. Um, and so I like the Texans. I think that the thing that hurts them, their defense isn't as stout as it was before. Um, you know, I think J.J. Watt's getting a little bit long in the tooth. Obviously hurt, and, and then their defensive backs aren't as good this year as it usually has been. But um, I think when you have Deshaun Watson, he makes everybody look that much better. Well, Jay, I appreciate you coming in and uh, joining us in here today and enjoy the football this weekend. Yeah, I appreciate it, man, and I look forward to, uh, you know, the February coming for the secondary signing date. Yeah, no problem. Hey, well, uh, much more to come here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I was a heck of a team. You know, it's uh, got a guy playing as well as anybody in the, in the country right now, not just our league, I mean, in the country with Garza. And then Wieskamp's a load. I mean, he's as versatile as anybody uh, in the Big Ten. And, you know, they've got role players that go out there and, and, and to do exactly what they're supposed to do. So, you know, for us to bounce back against a really good team and get this one was important. We have two really tough road games coming up. You know, every time you step on the floor in this conference, it's it's you know it's a monster. You got to be ready uh, to go out there and and uh, and again, if you don't bring a physicality, you're probably not going to win. And we're back here on the Husker Line Show. This segment of the Husker Line Show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill with locations in Omaha and Lincoln. Get on into Tanner's this weekend. Watch all the NFL playoff action on Saturday and Sunday and all the college basketball action as well as Nebraska will play Saturday afternoon in Evanston, a 3.30 game at Northwestern. But, Robin, let's talk about this win over Iowa. Uh, 76-70. Uh, Nebraska was what? Was it a six-and-a-half or seven-and-a-half point spread? Yeah, depending on where you look, it was anywhere from six or seven. And, you know, they came in and just shell-shocked Iowa. Uh, Hawkeyes shot four of 33 on three-pointers. They had a double-teaming game plan that worked down low and – um, you know, Fred Hoiberg now is is he eight and one as a player and a coach against Iowa all time. Yep. He, so he's living, five and one as a coach. He's basically living rent free in the heads of Hawkeyes. Oh yeah. So uh, yeah. So I mean, Fred Hoiberg clearly. I mean, uh, he and McCaffrey started uh, as coaches, head coaches at Iowa and Iowa State respectively together the same season. So um, all those wins uh, if, as a coach have come against Fran McCaffrey. So. You know, it's kind of a, the first time Nebraska's been on that side of it in one of these rivalries. But, uh, yeah, the game plan, it was one of those deals where everything needed to happen <laughs> uh, on both ends of the floor for them to even have a chance. And so defensively, they made it no secret that Luca Garza was not going to beat them. He's Iowa's 6'11", All-American center, uh, who was averaging 20 and 10, uh, leading scorer in the Big Ten. Uh, and he didn't score his first basket till 741 in the first half. Didn't even take a shot in the paint until that point. Uh, and that was because every time he got the ball, he was swarmed by two, even three defenders who were all swiping at the ball and just making life miserable for him whenever the ball was in his hands. And so he had to pass it out. And uh, here's where the plan really worked. Uh, when you do that, you're essentially picking your poison because Iowa is one of the best three-point shooting teams in the Big Ten. They shoot about 36% as a team from behind the arc, make about eight and a half per game. And when they shoot four of 33 and miss almost 33 point attempts, um, that is as golden of a design as you can possibly draw up. And so it's hard to say that they, you know, shut down Luca Garza. I mean, he had 16 and 18, but 
you'll take that when the rest of the team is doing what they did. And, uh, you know, I was shooting that poorly from the perimeter. Uh, and then the other thing that needed to happen was Nebraska actually needed to make shots. The, the previous two games, they shot a, a total of like 33% from the field. Well, they came out and made almost 50% of their shots, hit 10 three-pointers, uh, and you know went to the free throw line 26 times. And so, I mean, that is, like I said, every single star that needed to align aligned in that game, and it ended up being uh, one of the, the best wins of the season. So well, I think the X factor is Thor, um, you know, and this is a guy we didn't even know could be around this year at one point. Mm-hmm. And um, the improvements he's made, the confidence he plays, the way he cuts the basket. Uh, but when he's hitting those quick tr- trigger threes, Cam Mack, when he's hitting that quick three that he t- likes to take and in the basketball dictionary, those probably aren't great shots, and they're making those shots. Great shots in Hoiberg's system. Um, you know, and, and when those go in, it's just a different team. Yeah, and it sounds kind of redundant, but when, when Nebraska makes shots, especially early, they're really good because they are just such a front-runner emotional team that uh, – they, they talk a little smack. Yeah, they need to start – they need to start well. And the last few games, they had not started games well offensively. And so they jumped out to a 7-0 lead and made shots early and, uh, you know, had everyone get involved. They had five guys scoring double figures uh, and really got contributions out of everyone that saw the floor. And so this was as much of a total team effort as you're going to find. And, yeah, Cam Mack and, and, and Thor kind of stole the show, um, nearly both getting double-doubles. But, you know, you got it, everything. Hanif Cheatham, you know, drops 14 Cross. points. Kevin Cross comes off the bench and scores 11 points. Uh, Ivan, he only scored five points, but the job he did uh, matching up against the best center in all of college basketball in Luca Garza uh, was exceptional. And the fact that he was able to do it without fouling. I mean, he was only called for two fouls in that game. And so uh, it was a perf- like I said, it was all perfection across the board. And then you add in a guy like Charlie Easley. Who comes I've been off driving the bench. that bus, man. You have. You have. He's your boy. And he came <laughs> off the bench and played a career-high 16 minutes. And he didn't score a point. Or he scored one point on a free throw. And he missed all three shots that he took. But you look at the amount of winning plays Charlie Easley made, diving on the ball for loose for on the floor for loose balls, uh, getting two steals, uh, boxing out guys that are way bigger than him. Those are the types of things that – turn losses into victories and uh, without a few of those plays Nebraska might not win that game Uh, and that was the one of the most encouraging things was their ability to not only jump out to an early lead but sustain it even when Iowa came back and took the lead in the second half Nebraska was resilient and they stepped up made clutch plays made clutch shots and they ended up like I said beating a very good Iowa team that is by far their best win of the season and Gervais Green uh, did not play at all He, um, he was told by Fred Hoiberg um, right before the game, we're going in a different direction tonight. And I mean, is it as simple as this, Robin, that Fred has said, you know what, playing Charlie easily 12 to 16 minutes, I'm going to go with that over Gervais Green because those winning possessions that we get with Charlie, even though he's maybe not scoring a lot of points, do the little things that he brings help the entire team more than what Gervais Green is bringing? Yeah, I don't know how much it's just about Charlie. I think it's the entire team. Um <laughs> You know, you hate to just pin it on one guy, but the evidence is there that <laughs> there's, there's a little bit of a track record. They now. play better when there's one less mouth to feed out there. And Gervais Green, he's a volume player. He needs the ball in his hands and he needs to take a lot of shots and he needs to be the focal point of the offense to play his brand of basketball. And that's why. You know, he was committed to Tim Miles where he was going to be that James Palmer, Teran Petaway type, where he was going to shoot the ball 20 times a game and put up a lot of points and be the focal point. Well, now Fred Hoiberg takes over, and it's a total team-wide thing where everybody is a scorer. And 
the offense just seems to bog down when Gervais is out there. Uh, and I don't, you know, like, again, I hate, I hate to just single one guy out, but he's missed three games and Nebraska's two and one in those games. And all three of those were their best three games of the season, Indiana, Purdue, and now Iowa. And that was why it was a conscious decision of the staff going into it that they told Gervais, you know what, we're going to go with the lineup where we played our best two games of the season uh, and just see what happens. Well, they get a, a product like they got against Iowa, Iowa, where everybody stepped up and everybody was playing with and around each other. Uh, and really just that the flow was as good as we've seen it offensively. So that's going to be really interesting going forward is what they do with Gervais Green and kind of how that situation works out. Because yes, I mean, you want to do what's best to, to give you a chance to win, but you're also potentially opening yourself up for some locker room drama. So he's uh, a junior, right? Durant yes, Green? he is a junior. And he's already used the red. He's probably well, he, he's out of JUCO, so he's got a red shirt he can yeah, use. Yeah, he could potentially. Red but it, yeah, it seems like he's kind of in a rock and a hard place as well. Yeah, it's tough. And he's a very emotional guy. I mean, he doesn't hide it on the court, off the court, social media, all that stuff. I mean, he wears his heart on his sleeve, and that's why I say, you know, that's that's something that they got to be very careful with because you get one guy that suddenly is uh, revolting against the, the team and his role in it, that could cause some problems. So it's not just as easy as take Gervais out of the lineup because, you know, there's, there's some other issues that could come with that. All right, Nebraska Northwestern on Saturday afternoon, another variable winnable road game here for the Huskers as they travel out to Evanston. Robin will have complete coverage of that on Saturday here on HuskerOnline.com. When we come back, Husker Online intern Allie Snow in studio with us, and we'll take her questions in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, and bringing in Husker Online's Allie Snow. Taking your questions here in the mailbag. Lots going on. Uh, recruiting going get to get picked back up here. Uh, but off the field things in football, recruiting, basketball. What do you got to lead us off with this week, Allie? So a lot of football questions. But the first one is about the departure of DeWitt. And this guy wants to know if we're going to hear much about this coaching search or just the usual many candidates were looked at and we decided upon this guy's I, speech. I don't think um, – Coaching searches in general are very transparent. I mean, I can tell you when they replaced Dawson last year, I mean, they brought four or five guys to Lincoln to interview them in person, and very little of that even got out to, you know, the football scoops of the world that usually report on those things. And I think that's how Scott Frost operates. He keeps a very tight lid on some of these things because a guy might, you know, in those situations, not want other people to really know because he's at another job that, you know, if he doesn't get the Nebraska job, he's not going to go to. But I think with DeWitt, we really already have somewhat of an indication we think that Mike Dawson's going to be the guy. Yeah, I mean, that, I think all signs are pointing to that. And it makes a lot of sense, as we talked about in the open. I mean, the, the, the familiarity is so important to Scott Frost and the guy that's been here, coached with his staff. Uh, it's about as seamless as you could possibly get. Yeah, and, and you hit it, Sean. I, I think that um, just because the public doesn't hear a bunch of names that are that are you know being looked at for the, the job doesn't mean that um, that they're not searching or, or that they don't have a guy. I mean, I, I think they, as we've seen since Frost got here, they like to operate under the radar and and not air all their business out there. And um, and I would expect something to happen pretty soon. Yeah, nobody knew who Tony Tuioti was, and basically until he got hired. 
How important is this spring for Coach Frost to get the youth on this team coached up to push the upperclassmen for starting roles in order to have success in 2020? Yeah, I think when you look at the spring, you've got to get the depth that you're building to compete now for roster spots. And during the regular season, it's really, really hard to just infuse young guys in because your reps and practice are limited with ones and twos. I mean, you might get threes going a little bit. Uh, but the spring is where you can get a third unit and even sometimes a fourth unit reps. And with all of these freshman players, quarterbacks, linemen on offense, linemen on defense, the secondary guys, the number of early enrollees, they've got to figure out ways to, 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 to drive up those reps and, and go into more, I think, live situations um, where you know, you've got more depth, younger guys, you know, do do more, uh, you know, full contact scrimmage situations, because I think that's how you truly find out who the guys are. Well, there are a lot of guys that we've been hearing about for the last year, two years, uh, that the time is now, especially given the amount of positions that are going to be wide open um, for as far as the depth charts concerned uh, going into this offseason. I mean, this is going to be the perfect opportunity to give as many possible guys as you can a chance to show what they can do. And uh, yeah, I think spring is going to be invaluable because, you know, there's a little less restrictions uh, as far as your schedule is concerned. You can do more. Uh, and so I think these next you know few practices, you know, starting up here in March are going to be pretty vital as far as setting the tone with those competitions going into the summer and especially going into fall camp. Yeah, I think the spring is always the time where you want to you want to see if your young guys can come along and and there's a lot of them. I mean, they they redshirted 22 true freshmen last year and so now it's kind of time for those 22 guys to to get inserted into um, you know, the depth chart and see see what they can do. I mean, they've been on campus now for a long time. They are, you know, ahead of the curve, I guess. I, I won't say they all have the playbook mastered or anything like that, but uh, now it's time for them to kind of take the training wheels off those guys and, and see what they can do. Who steps up as the backup running back behind Mills? Is it Johnson or one of the newcomers coming in? Yeah, I, I think my money, I don't know, Nate, you'd – where you stand on this, but I, I think between Marvin Scott and Sevion Morrison, um, I think one of those two guys, um, you know, has has a really good chance. I mean, we saw Ramir Johnson a little bit this year, and I, I mean, I, I I kind of expected more. I'll be honest. I mean, especially in the Rutgers or the Maryland the Maryland game where he got a lot of carries, um, he was okay, but nothing I saw in the Maryland game when he really got almost 20 carries that led to me like, this is your number two guy behind Mills next year. I think Scott and Morrison are going to get a really hard look. Um, but to me, Scott is kind of the more physical runner. Um, and, and obviously Morrison resembles more of a Wandell Robinson type-ish guy that can do a little bit of everything. Yeah, I don't know. To me, the, the sample size that we got from Ramir Johnson was way too small. Um, I mean, outside of that one game, outside of the Maryland game, you, he didn't really. I mean, a lot of those games, he only played one or two snaps, or, or only got like one or two carries, or whatever. So I, I'm not gonna sit here and say, yeah, Ramir Johnson is not gonna be the guy. But um, I will say, I do think the two true freshmen, Marvin Scott and Savion Morrison, those are two guys that I mean, they're coming in to play, and and they have been told, hey, you're gonna have every opportunity to see the football field early, and and I think that they're guys that can can come in and make an impact. I've seen Morrison in person. I think he's a phenomenal player. I know for a fact Nebraska absolutely loves Marvin Scott too, um, and physically. Physically, he's a guy who's who maybe just as you know just as uh, developed as anybody that's already on the roster. 
I'm going to be really curious to see what happens with Ronald Tompkins, too, coming off that injury, where he is, uh, if he's even going to be capable of factoring in that conversation right away this spring. Um, because I, I think if he's back to 100%, he can at least have a say in, in, in that conversation. Okay, predict you're too deep at offensive line. I mean, that's a really – I mean, that could be like a two-hour show <laughs> um, if we want to go there, but I think – you look at last year's starters, it's hard to see Jurgens and, and Hymas and Farniak not out there. Um, I think those three are safe. It's a, I think it's Hickson and Wilson. You know, Can they hold on? And do, does Bryce Benhart come in? And does he move into right tackle to allow Farniak to move to guard? And if Farniak moves to guard, he probably unseats Bo Wilson. Um, and then could an Ethan Piper push? Um, and, and, and give Hickson a run this spring at the at one of the guard spots. Could Ethan Piper play center? I mean, I, I think there's a lot of unknowns. I do know though of the three of the six freshmen on scholarship right now, uh, Banks, Benhart, and Piper are probably the best three today. Um, that that have looked the best at least thus far um, early on. Yeah, and I think a lot of it just has to do with where those two guys, Piper and Ben Hart, are in particular. Uh, I think those guys are probably the and most. And Corcoran comes in, and he'll be interesting to watch too. Yeah, uh, I think those guys are probably the most primed of the young guys to unseat a current starter. Uh, and then again, what what happens with Farniak? Is if Ben Hart's ready, do they move him to guard? So there's a lot of. Uh, ripple effect that I think stems off of just the uh, readiness of particularly a guy like Ben Hart because um, everybody sees the talent and you see the size. I mean, he just looks the part in every sense, but does he have the mental understanding to take over a right tackle position in the Big Ten? I think that is the ultimate determining factor in that whole conversation. Well, and a lot of that's going to get shaken out here in the spring uh, where they'll have time to kind of uh, shuffle guys around and get a good feel for, okay, this is where, where we're at with these guys or, or he can definitely do it. Uh, or whatever, but I do think that Ben Hart probably all becomes your right tackle, and that that allows you to slide Farniak inside, and um, you know, and, and I think the other two freshmen, you know, Piper and and Banks, I would not be surprised if they are on the two deep. Uh, I know they're really high on those guys, and and they are looking the part too. I mean, for for as young as they are, those three freshman offensive linemen look really really good. All right, final question, Allie, what do you have? Does Tom Brady wear a different jersey next year? <laughs> Great final question. <laughs> I'm going to say yes. Ooh, where? San Diego? Mm-hmm. Or L.A., I guess. It, I can't say San The Chargers of L.A. Indianapolis? Indiana, indoor stadium. Good uh, offensive line. Good defense. How would Dan Hoppen react oh, to that? I think he would. His brain would explode. Former Husker yes. online, diehard Colts, Colts fan. fan, known Tom Brady hater. Uh, I'm going to say <laughs> no because I think Tom or Tom Brady runs that organization as much as anybody, and if he doesn't want to leave, no one's going to make him leave. So he's a free agent technically. Uh, he already put on his Instagram that he will come back. Uh, so I'm, I'm assuming that no one is going to shove him out the door. Yeah, there's no way he's going to end his career in new england he's i mean it's it's the the script has been written for a long time for him to to go down as as a as a new england patriot legend and i mean he already is but um now that he's coming back uh, and he's not retiring i don't see him going anywhere else it can't be like joe montana to the chiefs or johnny unitas to the yeah. chargers okay here's the devil's advocate could they peyton manning let him go so they tank the next year not they're not a good team belichick's gone then that allows them to maybe get trevor lawrence in the draft the following year well, my th- my whole thing all along is, if they still had a guy like Garoppolo behind him, 
then then maybe yeah that maybe they kind of move on and bring Garoppolo up. But they have got Stidham, Stidham behind. They got um, nobody. Yeah, I mean they don't have anybody. They don't have someone that can take over. And the free agent market right now for quarterbacks is garbage right and a lot of guys coming out now too is coming out jake Fromm, that surprised me he's coming out from georgia uh, i figured jake Fromm was a lock to come back for well here's year. that a thing too 2021 everybody's expecting a work stoppage in the nfl so a lot of people are jumping out early so they can get those contracts before any potential strike well, happens yeah the cba that collective bargaining yeah, agreement. Basically, everybody's just going to assume there's going to be some yeah. sort of work stoppage. All the money's going to Matt Rule. That's why. Yeah. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean all the money in the league Best is. Best agent in sports. You wear a safety patrol vest to coach in, you get an <laughs> $80 million coaching contract in return. You drool on your stomach during games. <laughs> <laughs> Bitter Giants fan, Robin Washington. All right, Allie, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, guys. When we come back, we'll close the show with recruiting. You're listening here to the Oscar Line Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, now talking some recruiting as this segment, Nate, of the Husker Online show is brought to you by our friends at Coogler Vision. Nate, tell them about your experience at Coogler Vision. Yeah, unbelievable experience with Coogler Vision. And with the new year comes New Year's resolutions or goals. Uh, why not have one of your New Year's res- resolutions or goals be to get rid of contacts and glasses? I mean, uh, it, it will change your life, and LASIK is so easy. Um, I, I encourage you to see what Kugler Vision can do for you. Uh, you know, 2020 is the year of clear vision at Kugler Vision, and it should be for you too. Now let's talk some recruiting, Nate. I know coaches aren't out on the road again until next week, um, so no movement yet as we are in the dead period, but there is movement. Nebraska um, has still kind of made a few 2020 offers. I think really what's going on, Nate, is you, you see the staff has gotten together this week. They've kind of looked at the available pieces out there. They have one, maybe two spots they can use, and they're trying to maybe find the best available guy out there for that one spot. Yeah, and, you know, the dust has kind of settled from the early signing period, and, and you, you know, you everyone's been able to kind of catch their breath from recruiting and, and take a little bit of a break and, and step away. And, and now they're coming back, they're getting in the office, they're seeing, you know, what's left after the dust has kind of settled. Um, you know, we know for sure that they're bringing in a wide receiver out of Alabama, Chris Drain, uh, who's a 5'11", 165, 170-pound kind of all-purpose type of player. I mean, he's a guy that – A fifth wide receiver. Though. Yeah, when he could do – he could play some running back. I mean, he's he's a duck R type of guy, right, that, that we always talk about. He's a, he's somebody who could see carries in the backfield. He could see – he could play the slot. But I also think he's talented enough to, to play, you know, do some other things too in the offense. So uh, he's, he's that all-purpose type of, type of player that they like. And it makes you wonder about Darian Chase – DeMorian Houston and obviously um, Jamie Nanson. I mean, yeah. if, if they're trying to almost bring in more, it feels like they're recruiting over some of these guys already uh, because of the load they took a year ago. Yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, yeah, it's they're they're definitely putting pressure on some of those younger guys uh, that redshirted this past year, and and you know. The, they're going to have to to really step it up because they're not messing around. They're trying to bring in some guys that uh, that can be an impact type of player. Um, you know, obviously they brought in Omar Manning, who's a JUCO guy. They expect him to play right away. Alante Brown is a prep school guy, and so you know they're expecting for him to to be on campus here. Uh, you know, basically here any day now to start winter conditioning, and and they think that he's going to play right away. So yeah, they're definitely putting some pressure on on some of these younger guys. But Chris Dre. 
brain. Um, you know, it's interesting. He was originally committed to LSU, uh, and then he was committed to Ole Miss. And then after the coaching change, he kind of opened things back up, didn't end up signing. Um, and so, you know, he's visiting. We'll see what happens there. But uh, And then you've got Brennan Scott, who's a four-star linebacker um, out of Bishop Dunn High School, same high school as the, you know, Darian and Damian Daniels. Um, and he's going to be visiting Nebraska as well. Uh, now he's listed as an outside linebacker by rivals, but I think that I think that he would probably be more of an inside linebacker for the Huskers. He's six one, six two, two hundred and twenty pounds. Um, but so yeah, there's there's a possibility. There's a couple different guys right there uh, that they're targeting, and and then there's a handful of other guys that are kind of on the periphery right now. Where I think Nebraska's trying to figure out, okay, do we bring these guys in for a visit, or or do we offer at, at this position or not? Um, so so we'll see what happens there. Yeah, the thing I'll be really curious, Nate, is just how they handle those last two spots. If they found two guys now, would they use them, or are they hell bent on making sure one is held for the portal? Um, and I think that's going to be a healthy debate because uh, you can argue the portal really hasn't treated Nebraska great. I mean, Darian Daniels came out of it, and obviously the tight end um, last year um, out of Rutgers. I mean, they've gotten some quality guys. We still don't know how good he's going to be, um, but there's also been a lot of bad guys they've added out of the portal too. Um, so, you know, it, it, I think it's a healthy discussion on how you play those last two spots. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a crapshoot, I think, when you – when you're going to rely on on holding some scholarships back or holding a scholarship back for the portal, you know you don't necessarily know a what's what's going to be in there uh, at the end of the spring semester because if they do hold up hold back a spot there, I think they would wait until after the the spring, probably end of you know towards the end of May, early uh, June to see what's you know, see what's available um, you know after spring ball and everything uh, because you know you'll see a lot more guys kind of enter that. Uh, you know, at the end of the spring semester, so um, you know, or you is, simply just hold the spot and yeah, or give it, Luke Reimer a scholarship or someone that's more deserving, right? Yeah, exactly. So I mean, there's a lot of different things you could do there, um, or or if there's a couple guys that you really like right now before February and don't want to pass up on them, go ahead and use them, and and you know, then you've got a guy that you can develop for for four or five years. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of different ways and variables involved here. So it, it will be interesting to see exactly how they, how they go about it. And then Nate, looking to 21, we are going to be on the road this week and all through January, starting the in-state tour a little bit earlier, just the way recruiting's changed. We figured let's get on the road and, and get out when recruiting's still hot. And, um, we're going to make our way. I know later this month to the council bluffs, um, you know, you, you've got a guy there and Thomas Fedoni, the tight end out of Lewis Central, picked up a Georgia offer, an LSU offer. I mean, Florida, he's, Florida. He's he is really emerging as one of the top two or three tight ends probably in the country. And then T.J. Bowler's the number one player in the country or in Iowa, excuse me, um, an outside linebacker out of Des Moines. Um, man, Iowa, that is really looking promising, and Nebraska's in on with the two best players in the state. Yeah, they really are. Um, you know, Fedoni and Bowlers, they, they went down to San Antonio. They both picked up awards at their at their position, uh, you know, most outstanding player award uh, at the underclassmen combine, which, I mean, there's – there's two over 2,000 kids that go down to this combine, and and it's an invite only deal, so it's not just like any, 
you know, any dude off the street can just walk in there and work out. I mean, it's it's pretty competitive, and um, you got two kids from Iowa that won national awards at this deal, and and so um, in Fedoni, you know, I, I look at Fedoni and Bowlers, um, you know, as, as kind of must get players for Nebraska in this 2021 class, especially Fedoni given his location. I mean, he's he's a Council Bluffs, uh, Lewis Central kid. I uh, grew up a Nebraska fan. Um, you know, he's he's much closer to Lincoln than he is to to Iowa City, and so um, you know, I know that the Hawkeyes have have had great success with their with their tight ends over the you know recent history. Uh, but but I do think that he's a I look at him as a must get type of guy, more of an in state guy than than an Iowa guy. But uh, when you do look at the talent in Iowa, there's an awful lot of it this year, and, and Nebraska is legitimately in the running with um, you know. About five or six of the the top, you know, eight guys in the state, and so um, they they are putting a little pressure on the Hawkeyes, which <laughs> which adds a whole nother layer to that whole deal. Well, there's going to be a lot to follow. As I mentioned earlier, we'll be on the road this week, and um, really at least once a week here out throughout January as we'll start the in-state tour. So uh, make sure you log on to HuskerOnline.com as we will have the latest on all things Huskers. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.